Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. This is your continued exploration of faith during this, that we are calling now a time of opportunity. It's still a crisis because the world's pandemic is very much with us. I am Lindsay Shooters and I'm joined as always by the director of our parish, Father Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing, sir? Good afternoon, Lindsay. Through the grace of God, um, we take it day by day. Um, uh, be, being challenged by the, num- the, the, the number of funerals that one has had to do. Um, and it's not, not so nice um, doing it in the way we have to do because a lot of the solid cultural and religious um, things we've had to relook really at in order to preserve safety, but it's also good to be able to meet with people in this way and to, and to you know, try and support one another in um, the journey of death that sort of follows all of us. Mm. My family are mm. okay through the grace of God, and I trust that uh, the same for you and your family recovering from a COVID bout. Uh, yes, yes, uh, yes. Some yes. strong senses of recovery going on. Um, I myself am in the last throes of the virus, but the virus does have a nasty sting in its tail. Um, like you, I, I just feel, sorry to waffle, but I, I just feel that like my body's been fighting it so well. And then just like the last couple of days, it's now finally turned on my asthma symptoms, which is what I was fearing from the very beginning. So, yeah, it's going difficult, but um, at least the body feels strong. The lungs, not so much, but we, we keep on <laughs> fighting. <laughs> yeah. I hope that, that that little testimony gives hope to others who may be struggling uh, with comorbidities um, and that uh, um, at least to take it one day at a time and know that they're not alone. Mm. Definitely, yeah. I'm I'm on the prednisone. Um, I'm on day two of my prednisone course. So, yeah, that's the best medical treatment that is available right now, and it's proven quite effective. I've heard a lot of testimonies from fellow asthma sufferers who have actually been admitted um, to hospital with low oxygen saturation. Um, luckily, mine has never really dipped further than 87, which is kind of good. Um, apparently, the doctor, hospitals will only accept people with oxygen saturation of under 75, um, obviously because of the oxygen shortages that is going on. And yeah, like my thanks to all of the medical staff that are out there Absolutely. on the front lines of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Father, turning our eyes to the third Sunday of the, Epiph- of the Epiphany, um, we explained the Epiphany, we spoke about it in depth last week. And now we are moving on to Jesus starting his ministry in earnest. Um, If you could just call us all together with the words of the collective prayer, and I will catch up with you after that. Good afternoon to you, uh, listeners. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. And thanks to Lindsay for his faithfulness in ensuring that we have this kind of a means of communication, of exploring our faith in uh, this short setting of the liturgy with focus on um, the scriptures and the text and what we can learn from that, from that in this time for our lives. We um, are in the third week of Epiphany, and so I greet you, um, <coughs> the Lord who sent Jonah to Nineveh is with you. I've chosen as that greeting because the Old Testament reading is from the the book of Jonah. From the collect, I've drawn this theme, God, give courage to turn and joyfully follow you into new adventures of that a little later on. But let us pray the collect for this particular Sunday and this week. And if you are able to have it in front of you, draw on for God of new beginnings. Give us courage to turn and joyfully follow you into new adventures of faithful service. Through Jesus Christ, our light and salvation, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Amen. Father, before we get to the gospel, I do put the collect down in the pod in the podcast description. So if you do not have a pew leaflet available to you, um, or you're not on the Facebook site, you can check it out there. Um, wherever you are listening to this, you can just expand on the little dialogue box below it, and it will all be there. Um, so the gospel this week comes from is according to Mark chapter one, verses fourteen to twenty. And it starts, it begins in at what I believe is the catalyst moment for Jesus' ministry. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So before he reaches the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Andrew. I just want to discuss this moment that really galvanized within Jesus this sense of purpose. Um, because obviously John was doing all the work in the wilderness, making an army of believers um, for Jesus, clearing the way. Um, and then he gets arrested, and then Jesus is like, okay, fine, there's no one else doing it, so I now have to take up this fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was, there, was there something else that comes to mind that really thrust him forward outside of, of John getting arrested? You know, when, when one looks at the, the week before's gospel reading, there's, there's sort of a gentle thing that happens with him um, being pointed out by John the Baptist. This is in John's Gospel, as we read last week. And then Andrew and the other disciple sort of is pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist. When they ask him um, where he lives, he says, come and see. And then after the encounter with him, so there's sort of a gentleness there where um, John's version of Jesus's ministry, which seems to begin at the time of him calling people to follow him, calling mm. people into mm. discipleship. Whereas the synoptics come up with this um, understanding that the thing that 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 made it clear for him when his ministry actually has to start is when the ministry of John stops. Mm. So the inter interrelatedness, the interconnectedness between Jesus's start of his ministry is connected to John's arrest. Now, I know that all of us who read this passage in the in Mark and also in the other uh, passages of the um, Scripture find it very difficult to think why would the arrest of your cousin and somebody who had taken the risk of being a, a prophetic voice for God um, be the trigger that makes you understand now is the time to continue. And one wonders, wonders, wonders about this because my initial response would have been, well, let me go to the authorities and see if I can understand why John was arrested uh, since he was doing such a good job, let me go and advocate for his freedom and all of that. And the, the deeper one thinks about it, the, the more interesting for me it became. The word arrest is a very important clue. It's a clue to what was going on in the, the systemic <coughs> rule of the country. Mm. Arrest normally is associated with somebody having committed a crime and has been pointed out as the possible perpetrator. And so a trial would be set up for that person. In the meanwhile, uh, the person is arrested uh, just in case he is actually the person who who perpetrated that crime. Mm. So Mm. was John guilty of a crime? Yes, he was guilty of the crime. And the crime that he was guilty of, according to systemic oppression is speaking truth to power. Mm. So in John's arrest, we are beginning to see the rearing of a puppet government placed there by the Romans 
so that they didn't really have to deal with all the Jewish issues, but that Herod and the Pharisees would be would be taking care of the administration of the Jewish social and political life as long as he didn't cross over to um, do anything to Caesar and and his politics. Mm. Um, and so you had this puppet government now being challenged about moral morality. Um, and so that gives us an inkling into why would then uh, Mark go on to tell us that in proclaiming the good news then tells us that the good news is about the kingdom of God, which now stands in opposition to a puppet kingdom that could not handle the truth, would not repent of their wrongdoing and their immoral behavior and corruption, they thought they could silence this man. So I think that it's not a spiritual thing that sort of knocked Jesus into the water. It was an interconnected thing, spiritual mm. and social. Uh, and political, because all of that, you know, silencing a prophet by imprisoning him in a state prison is a political issue. But moral corruption, the immoral corruption that was going on. So where I take solace in the fact that Jesus didn't go and say John must be free. Jesus understood that he needed to get on in haste with his um, mm. mission. Unfortunately, it's going to, it was to be at the end of John's ministry. It's probably going to eye open to him as to where he was going to end up as well. But the work of the proclamation and the bringing of the kingdom of God was of urgency. John's arrest made it even more urgent. Mm. And so for me, that is a very important um, uh, um, a trigger. Uh, for Mark to tell us, well, then that arrest happened, Jesus goes to this to Galilee. What did he go and do there? Firstly, he started doing exactly what John did. He proclaimed good news as opposed to the bad news of this unjustified arrest. Mm. And so in a way he was saying to John, I'm continuing and taking further what you have begun. Mm. I'm not, because proclamation is public. Mm. It was out there. Even Herod could hear about it. And if Herod could hear about it, Herod had his hands full of a double trouble now. Mm. And so uh, the voice of truth can never therefore be silenced. Mm. You may try and smother it for, for a season. Some way it's going to rise up again. In other words, God and the good news that God has for the world will never be able to be eradicated. Because, and when it, it cannot be eradicated because God continues to speak to the world. And secondly, the seeds of the kingdom are planted in the minds and the hearts of all who hear the good news of God in that proclamation. So Jesus then talks into this context, both the spiritual and the mission of God to the world. And it takes on every aspect of human life. And how more can what more can take on that which controls uh, perversely humanity and creation? The kingdoms of the world is the kingdom and rule of God. Very but interesting. Jesus is clear. Uh, it, it comes with news. Um, the Bible accounts of this period in history leaves Jesus as the sole prophet after John is taken, cap is, is taken captive. Whereas if you look at it from um, the Quran, where they, Jesus is revered as one of the many prophets who were, I mean, it was published in the same area. The Romans were operating out of Jerusalem to seize control over what was the Persian lands um, at the time. 
and there were many other voices of dissent told through their eyes. Um, but yeah, like keeping it to to this, it, it it it's it's very important that you did frame it as um, this was a counter movement that where John was the poster child, and then Jesus knew that he had to continue that sort of of mission, like outside of the direct route to the cross, like just from a political perspective, he was an important voice of dissent. And then he goes and on. He and would he, give, he would give John hope. So John's way of dealing with his death would mm. have been hope, hopeful because the work continues and mm. it's extended. Mm. Very, very important point there. So then he goes to the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. So now he just starts calling randos because, like, firstly, he's moved now from um, <laughs> um, Nazareth down to Galilee. Um, so they're still in the northern provinces and there's no real important religious structures or anything coming from that side. So, like, these guys are just fishermen and tax collectors and <laughs> they just normal people going about their work <laughs> and yeah. suddenly they now get and we, we spoke last week where Galilee was a pacifist state there wasn't many uprisings come out of there so like now suddenly this light is being lit and for him to take this band of ragtag folks down to Jerusalem which is like the seat of power the temple is there like everything is there like how were people going to believe these guys <laughs> mm. you know does jesus have a strategy uh, the the authors tell us he came to galilee so quite intentionally and last week's text told us the same thing that there was a decision made, a decision made that he will start his public ministry in Galilee. Mm. Why mm. at the sea? Now, is there a correlation with the sea in this text and the chaotic waters at creation, which the spirit hovered over and out of out of God's being, God says, let there be light. Something new is created around waters. Though chaotic, there is a life-giving source. Now, given the that sort of idea, we also know that fishermen in their ordinariness have a tough life. They also have about them a wisdom you and I will never be able to know because of their dealings with the sea and what is in it. And, and there's a dependence on them to bring the sea to us, um, to bring the life of the sea that will nurture human understanding. So they are at the cold face of human survival. When I looked at both those, I mean, I realized that for me, Peter, Simon and, and Andrew were in this business on their own. They were the owners of that fishing vessel and, mm. and all of that. John and, and James uh, had a family, has been part of a family thing. So we, I'm, I'm not clear as to how many generations have worked the sea for the benefit mm. of the land. It's part of the ingrained economy of the time. I think the arrest and the fact that Jesus meets fishermen and who are busy working, men, nets, and so on, that shows us about the, the, the social, political, and economic um, uh, situation in which Jesus started his ministry. Fishermen mm. are not necessarily rich people. We know in the conflict here in our own country, for example, the Irvins and Johnsons have mm. stolen, in my view, what the local people should be having. It should have been a local business. 
but franchises with money and political power take it away. The other hand, then they use the local people to work for them. So now if you take away the one's job and you take away the other job, who's going to fight with one another? The local people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have that experience in the Western Cape because the sea is part of who we are. Mm. Now, what conversations would be able to come out of interaction from a fisherman to somebody who purchases um, the product of the fish? So I wonder whether Jesus was using people on the ground, people who were interacting with the general population um, who's seeking their next meal, that they were to be used to be able to interact with people. So, so in other words, Jesus was saying the task of the kingdom and the call of the kingdom proclamation was not one person's job. It was not just God doing something for the world, but God bringing together the world in order to help the world find a better place to be in, a better way to live. And so I think Jesus goes to the ordinary, the ones who's fighting for survival, the ones who's being, I mean, we don't know what kind of quotas they are to live with. We don't know what Herod wants in terms of taxes from them. So yeah, Jesus did go to the rough and ready uh, of his time. Fishermen are rough and ready. Um, mm. And so I, mean, I, I found, I listened to very interesting um, talk one day about being a sailor. Now, this is not necessarily people who go and catch fish. Uh, if you were a, a sailor in, in Her Majesty's service, HMS, mm. you were not supposed to be able to swim. Because it meant that you didn't trust the, the vessels you were sailing on as the best Her Majesty could come up with. Wow. So, when sailor, so when sailor when the boat sank, sailors drowned. They could not swim. Wow. So I, I found that when I listened to John Matham some years ago when I thought, wow, what an interesting <laughs> fact. But but so the dangers they have to live with at the cold face of life. Jesus used them. Who could, who knew about the, the, the necessities and the nitty gritties of survival? In other words, the, the work of the kingdom was going to be very difficult work. Mm. If you thought mending nets um, was going to be a, because the task going forward was difficult, mm. and we see that in the in the in the whole journey itself, moments very important moments, and Jesus had to stop when Jesus had to rest. When the disciples mm. couldn't anymore, there was a, there was really a soul shifting. So, you know, it's wonderful to read. He came proclaiming the goodness of God, and you would have thought anybody would be open to listening to it. Mm. It wasn't going to be so easy, because the kingdom of God requires repentance. And how do you do that uh, with people on the cold face? How do you do that with people who are sucked up in power? Where would Jesus start? And also. Proclaiming the kingdom of God was already beginning to shape a community. Mm. Mm. And fishermen probably was the community of the ones that would have, in my view, be able to deal with where was hope needed. We, we, We already learned that when John spoke truth to power, they wouldn't listen. They shut him up. Who else was looking for hope in a very broken society? The people who were on the survival fence. Mm. They were more open and fertile to hear that there is hope for us with this message. You were speaking earlier about um, how Irvin and I and Jay stole um, Father, I need to please explain to you that when you do it with money and power, it's called commercializing. <laughs> yes, of course, that's the legal not word. Stealing. <laughs> <laughs> I also learned not so not so long ago from a professor who came to do a law professor who came to do some uh, conferences in Cape in Cape Town, and I was struck by it. I never thought of it because I was always for me it was always about grace and law. Not realizing how important law is, 
uh, because God wouldn't have given the law if it wasn't important. And he raised something that I never thought about in all of my conversations and never came across that idea. He says, yes, there is the law. Hmm. The question that always has to be asked is, what is the morality of the law? Yes. Yes. Because who makes laws? Those that are in power. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can legislate for you and for me. Only those that are sitting in parliament houses that does that. And then they think they're doing good. Mm. And how so many? Was, sorry, go on. It was interesting that you 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 touched on, like the possible reason why Jesus would have started with a fisherman. And and the more it was percolating in my mind, I was thinking of the fact that they were obviously also more. They were like a route, direct route to the marketplace. Because they catch the fish and then go sell it to the people. So they would know what it looks like when someone cannot afford to pay them the price that they need to set so that they can pay the tax and still Absolutely. survive and fix their boats and maintain their livelihoods. Um, so they were very, very sensitive to the plight of, of the community. Because, I mean, when you work in an essential service like getting food, nutrition to humans, like you see the worst of it. That, that's why it's why the food parcel um, corruption was the absolute pits for me in the first phase of this pandemic, um, where it's like the government has funneled all of this resources into feeding people because that, as I found out, contracting this virus the only way you beat it is keeping your body strong yeah keeping your body nourished keeping the vit getting the vitamins in you there's no medicine that can help you it's your body needs to fight it itself um and yeah for for the politicians to have done what they did then like i don't even care about the rest of the 500 billion because money is nothing like fiscus money is nothing it means absolutely nothing um, it will probably end up being higher taxing later on in the in life, but the actual there's no actual physical value to that. But when it's directly something that would nourish another human being, and you are interfering with that process, like that, that there's there's no redemption there. Um, yeah. So now he's got his ragtag army of fishermen. <laughs> And he goes on his merry way. And what does this tell us about the moment that we're in now? Like these people just dropped what they were doing. Um, John and James told Zebedee, like, dude, you have, you're rich enough to have hired other people. We're going to go do this thing now. <laughs> like, where, where's, where's the lesson in this? Yeah. One wonders what was what was in their hearts and their minds and in their inner dialogue um, that made them respond in the way that they did according to Mark when they heard this voice of a stranger saying to them, follow me, I will make you fishes of people. people. Um, mm -hmm. What, what was it that gripped their attention? What, what was this sense of this movement that he was wanting to start? Had they heard that it had to do with the coming of the kingdom of God? Did they hear that message? Did they hear it was about the proclamation of the good news of God? Did that sp uh, take root within them? Did that begin to spark of something of a that they had longed to hear? Um, you know, the, I think there's a time when all of us are just longing to hear a message that would inspire hope within us. Um, so, for example, when the vaccines begin to hit the shores of South Africa and, 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 and Cyril stands up to announce this is the plan, um, the rollout plan for this um, will the least amongst us also be able to hear that message and say, there is hope for me. 
I will now I will now stand up from where I am and I will follow what the president has to say. And I will be an advocate to be able to say, even though we have the vaccine, we still have to live our lives in so procuring your life so that my life can also be safe and so on. So I think it's the same kind of principle. Did they hear this message? What did it do for them when they looked at what they were busy with and where was that leading them to? Um, when they were, when they heard the words, I will make you, did they then say, oh, my dream at last realized, um, the, the call of my heart has now been touched. Um, and I, I mean, can you imagine the great risk they took? When I was contemplating this early on, I wondered what, 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 was, what would have gone on in, in Andrew and Simon's household where they were daddies and, and husbands, mm. uh, you know, Simon yeah. and the mother-in-law that he looked after, how, will, how was that going to, to affect them? Um, Zebedee would think, how, who is he going to then hand over the business to when mm. my two sons mm. leave here? This is a family, a father and son's a business. How was I going to do that? But what was in his voice? What was in his person? What was in the message that he said that suddenly sparked uh, what Mark describes as immediately left? It, it's as if they didn't have to think about it for one more moment. Jesus mm. spoke directly to their hearts. Jesus spoke directly to their hopes. Jesus spoke directly to what they were longing for. And, 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 and so for them, in spite of not knowing the, head, the, the, the way ahead and what challenges they will have to meet, they somehow heard this very unique call um, based on a proclamation of the kingdom of God. Um, they stood ready to become his followers, but they needed to hear his voice. Mm. They needed to hear the message. They needed to reflect on what their own lives and where they were heading for. And they needed to, to have the, the worldview that they were living in and what was going on in their, in their worldview. Did he come with such a profound message that just spoke? And I think that they heard it. I think that something resonated with them. I mean, I, I can't imagine me going to anybody saying, come and follow me. You know, it, there's, there, there is no um, comparison mm. to, to one. I, I, I don't think in, in all of my understanding in terms of comparative religions that anybody did what Jesus did here. Mm -mm. Um, well, uh, <laughs> in like Hare Krishna stuff, yeah, kind of in the Hindu, it was, um, but that was more like a warrior sort of situation. It was less of, of like this peaceful kind of movement, which which is which is then interesting when you when you look at, at the Quran's tellings of of this time, where like I, I mentioned before, there were other prophets in different areas who were kind of speaking the good word and all of those things and trying to speak truth to power. Um, but I need to... But, but were the people coming to talk about the kingdom of God and its good news? Um, kind of. I'm not... I'll need to do some reading <laughs> before... <laughs> Did they call the nations to repentance? Ah. Uh, I'm actually busy with a book again. I've picked it up again. I forget the author, but it's called God is Not Great. Um, and it's a it's a very controversial text. I remember when I first received it um, and I opened it on, I started reading it. I was on an airplane and the woman sitting next to me just gave me a look that I'm sure if I was so easily embarrassed, I would have probably just shut the book up and put it away and never thought of it again uh but it, it's a it's a i'll, I'll pass it on to you uh, at some stage when we can let me tell you a 
a, a story that gels with your story. I mm. heard Richard Dawkins' um, book had come out, The God Delusion. Mm. And I had been in the area of um, Constantia where they were selling, the exclusive books were selling The God Delusion. And I stood in the line, but I had my collar on. Mm. I had my clerical collar on. And there was one older gentleman and he looked up and saw me with the book in hand and I said, yes, I need to know what this man is saying. Yes. <laughs> I need to know how and what conversation I must have with this kind of mindset. I need to know that if any of my parishioners are going to read them and believe what this man is saying, um, then what do I do? There was, the, there was a whole series of books that came out also from an American guy um, that people put aside the Bible to read his stuff. Mm. Um, um, and it was it it was illusional spirituality. You see, mm. people get caught up in illusional spirituality. What was Jesus doing here when he called somebody who then leaves their livelihood? Has mm. he called them to a pipe dream? Is he calling them to an illusion? when he talks about the kingdom of God. And these are the issues we must explore. Today, um, when I was doing the funeral service of Auntie Sally Collins, mm. um, those words came up to me again in John 14, 1 to 6. Jesus says, said at the beginning, let not your hearts be troubled. So he speaks to the heart. Believe in God, believe also in me. And he says, in my father's house are many rooms. Then he starts a controversial part of the conversation. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Why was he saying if? In other words, am I a person of my word when I tell you this? Are you going to believe me? That's or the crucial thing. I, it's like, are you am going I, to believe me? <laughs> yeah. Am I, just, so, am I just a fake? You see, it's very interestingly, Jesus calls us to faith in him and in God, right? Mm. Follow me. Interesting enough, when one does comparative religions, prophets don't call people to follow them and to believe in them. Mm -mm. Prophets would point to what God has spoken to them about and tell the people to follow them. Why was Jesus so unique? Why did he have the confidence in the face of everything? Say, follow me. Not follow, not follow um, what, I, what, what is written, not follow whatever it is, follow me. Something about that that is very, very deep for us to, to think about. Very, very. And, and maybe, I mean, when one looks at the struggle that Jonah had, the word of God comes to him and, and he, that, that's a parable, by the way, it's one, of, yeah. one of the most beautiful parables that I've read. Um, the end of the story ends up so interesting where the prophet walks away as if you've told me to do this and, and they've done exactly what you said they were going to do. Yeah. And I'm not happy with you. Yes. But, but you forced me to do this. Instead of celebrating, Jonah wasn't happy, according to the, to the what's name. So there are prophets that were not necessarily happy with what God did in the end. We, 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 he wanted people to be destroyed. God forgave people. Um, you know, that's what Jesus comes to pro pro proclaim. Um, he's, he, like Jonah, he has to walk through from Galilee to Jerusalem. Mm. He was going to go into the belly of the beast. But I, I, I need to discuss something with you. So, obviously, this, this gospel story is about the calling. Um, and the response to the calling and obviously all the knee-jerk reaction lessons would be about accepting the call. So I, 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 again, I can only equate it to um, my long-suffering wife who has the unique pleasure of being married to a journalist who seriously wants to see justice in the world. Um, through fair and honest reporting. And it weighs heavy on her sometimes because there are other more commercially, financially 
rewarding means of doing the types of jobs that I love. But I always try and find a way to take the hardest path. Um, and yet she stays with me for why, I don't know. Um, and then in yourself, I mean, it, it can't be easy on your wife, like your career, um, your the political side of your career, um, the moving around, all, all of those things. Like, what what is? I, I think there's there's a, a crucial lesson in their experience that can be equated to the apostles. Um, look, absolutely. I think you know, as a gain around what people really truly value. Do they value somebody who's sitting behind a desk in a commercial company? Uh, being the piper for the boss and bl blowing the tunes that the boss wants to be played out there? Or, or are, am I going to be a, a different voice that wants to get the message out there that this artificial sense of justice and truth that is commercially being um, propagated and marketed is to our detriment. Mm -hmm. So any form of call to a vocation comes with a sacrifice, personal sacrifice. And um, I mean, with the story, the word arrest popped it up to me. In, in our call as clergy in 1985, we were asked by the South African Council of Churches to be at the protest marches that the people were going to be at as the clergy. And because we were clergy, we were asked to stand in front of the people. Now, theological seminary doesn't train you for this. Mm. <clears throat> Neither does your home parish train you to be part of protests and what you do in, in, in terms of protest. The way the church is structured also, as it were, downplays the radical nature of the gospel. Mm. I mean, when I keep saying the words proclaiming the goodness of God in the face of an arrest, I just hear how profoundly powerful those words are. That in the face of such bad news, I'm able to stand up and, 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 and speak out. Now, when you make that commitment, um, when you, I mean, I think, I think Jesus doesn't like the commercialization that has gone on in the so-called Christian faith. Mm. I don't believe Mr. Mandela was necessarily happy that he was commercialized mm. because he took his vocation so seriously. And the more commercialization that happens, the more the message gets watered down. Mm. Because now there are laws governing what you have to say by virtue of those for whom you work. Mm. And so... We all, we all suffer that. I mean, can, can you imagine without me having a conversation with my bishop? I had a conversation with my rector. There were two, two of us that were assistant priest and the parish worker. We all said to the rector, we're going to be on the streets in Athlon the next day. We're mm. going to be because we are called to be there. And we, had, we worked through that. I remember that I started to preach. It was the 18th of August. That Sunday I had to preach. And here on the Monday, I was working out with my rector. Can I go? Can I go? It was my second year or first year of second year of being uh, ordained. Mm. Meanwhile, mm. there were other colleagues who also had gathered. And we had to be there. And we were arrested. Other people went through far worse arrests than what we went through. Mm. But when you're called to do something like that, it comes at great sacrifice. I remember standing there, hooked into my brothers and sisters, and um, falling on our knees, saying the Lord's Prayer. 
thinking that this would calm the nerves of the police. They mm. waited until we said amen. And as soon as we got up, they said, charge. What effect did the Lord's Prayer have on them? Maybe we should have prayed it in Afrikaans and they <laughs> would have joined us. There they were leading us into the, into the van to the police station. So, yeah, and, and, then, and then there are Christians that at that time said, no, politics don't mix with, with religion. How can it not? Why mm. would the arrest of John? How, how could Mark tell us the arrest of John uh, uh, makes Jesus go to Galilee and proclaims the good news of God? How did mm. we read this all, the, all these years? So you, you are supported because of the values that you stand for and your sense of call. She would not be able to deal with a man who comes on frustrated because he was told to tone it down. Well, she has done. She has lived that life. <laughs> I just decided to remove myself from that situation, and I wouldn't do what. And you know, if, if people take this call very seriously, because how many of us have heard a call and we've just not bothered because I remember when I heard the call to go to work and test my vocation, I had family that said to me, well, you're just out of matric, you must go and get a job, you must have some form of foundation. I heard that, but I never went that way. Mm. Because I didn't hear in all of that God saying anything to me except what God was saying to me in terms of the journey I had to follow. And of course, we're all naive out. How do we think we, we've, we've heard the full story? We're just <laughs> hearing and we're, having, and, and we're having to learn how to discern what the voice of God is saying and what the word of God is saying. But here Jesus speaks to something in their hearts that they were really longing to hear and it came. Mm. And here you and I are today exploring our faith because of this story. Well, I'd like to say exploring faith. <laughs> I don't like to attach any personal pronouns to it. Well, I am. I am. Yes, yes, yes. Um, as you are one to. Uh, Father, this has been a very stimulating conversation. And if you could highlight a few further points of reflection in the prayers of the church. I ask that uh, people pray for all those who are celebrating birthdays and weddings and other celebrations. Continue to remember all the sick on our list, um, those at home and hospitals and housebound, and for those who are mourning the passing of their loved ones. This week uh, coming now, we will be laying to rest a 20-year-old uh, Kelly Jacobs, who also died of COVID-related illness. Um, pray for her family. And we also will be laying to rest Mr. Benjamin in Europa, and we pray for his family, um, and we um, pray for Ida. Uh, Ida was a lay minister at St. Mark's, and also died, and we pray for her family. Uh, then also in lockdown, we're only able to do funerals under protocol with levels of 50 people being able to attend. No marriages, no baptisms. We're waiting for some outcomes on there. And just one other thing I'd like to highlight for our concern is that um, to avoid too many in-person meetings, I will be conducting office hours on a Monday night uh, via Zoom. Uh, and I'm giving 15-minute slots to, to people. So if you um, phone in, we'll give you the time that you can uh, come into the to 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 meet meet with me in that regard. So as we pray, um, we pray to God who welcomes all in love. We pray for the good of the church and the concerns of all in need. To, in our prayers this week, we are addressing our prayers to as God of the God of Jonah. And we pray that God may speak God's word to the church, especially in these trying times, and send us on his mission to the world to bring hope to the nations. Um, we do our prayers uh, 
waiting in silence on God, who is our hope. And then also that the nations and their leaders will listen deeply to the message of the prophets, the message of the gospels, and um, find in there the necessity to reflect on how they govern and also where the changes are needed. Um, and so, so that our community can move from being too individualized to a deeper sense of caring for one another, from the slavery day life to a deeper sense of justice, and from systemic violence to peace. In our prayers, we um, also pray for many who are ill, needing medical and compassionate care. Think of those that are terminal and the many needing affordable care. We ask God's blessings on medical staff and caregivers and that God will bring holistic healing to every body, mind, soul and spirit. And then um, we know, Lord, that you've called many to eternal rest. Give us through faith and sure hope in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, and help us to grow in this faith and this hope. We continue to pray into this COVID situation. Author of life, healer of the nations, grant us courage to face our trial. Give us wisdom to find relief. Give us faith to be responsible. And grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake. Prayerfully and liturgically, we continue to raise awareness, advocacy, and activism against gender-based violence. And so we pray, O oh God of Jonah, help us to obey your call to every nation and proclaim your judgment and all forms of violence and abuse and your liberation, justice, and healing for all victims. And the prayer for our continent, with all backyard dwellers, we pray. God bless Africa, God our children, guide our leaders, and give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And then in conclusion, we give the commission and the blessing. So go now, my brothers and sisters, follow where Jesus calls you and proclaim the message God gives you. Wait in hope for God. Avoid being bound up in the business of the world, but live in readiness for the inbreaking of the kingdom. And may God be your haven and your glory. May Christ Jesus give you courage for his mission. And may the Spirit embrace your soul in God's silence. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and pray we, we, we await always for your feedback.